Hey, we're so glad you could join us on our podcast today. We hope this message equips and inspires you. And if you're ever in the Liverpool area, we would love to have you join us at one of our services. Our service times are 11am and 6pm. For now though, enjoy this podcast. Isn't it funny sometimes how like things can just get lost in translation? Communication can be difficult sometimes. Because sometimes people can hear your words, but they don't always hear your heart. I'm really honest. We're going into a series right now in church called This Is Why. And this is definitely the kind of series where something could get lost in translation. It's definitely the type of series that actually, if you only hear my words, you'll probably walk out of here today and you'll be like, you know what? I hate him. I'm never coming back. But if you hear my heart, I think that we'll be able to have a really great conversation today. In a moment, we're going to go to the Bible because that's really important. We're a church, so we should go to the Bible, right? But I'm going to try and paint a picture and set up this series for you by taking a look at some text that was written by the Apostle Paul, who in Corinthians was writing to a church in Corinth, but he kind of like makes reference to another church that's in Macedonia. And what he's kind of saying to this church in Corinth is kind of like this, like, guys, you're awesome, but you should check out what these guys in Macedonia are doing because these guys are incredible. And these guys have learned something that you need to know also. He's kind of like bigging up the Macedonian church to this church in Corinth, encouraging them to be like this Macedonian church. And this is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Let's just stop there for a moment. So what he's saying is, by the way, guys, look, I don't want you to think that whilst you're over here in Corinth, I don't want you to think that the guys in Macedonia have got it so good and so awesome that like they have no problems in life because he's like, that's not true or accurate at all. In fact, what I'm about to tell you about this church in Macedonia is set up because the context of their church life right now is they know what it's like to have struggles in life. They know what it's like to have challenges in the church. They know what it's like in the same way that you and I know what it's like to experience trials and difficulties and seasons of life that just feel hard. But then he goes on to say, but they are also filled with an abundant joy, isn't that crazy? That kind of like they're going through so much trouble and strife, and yet they're experiencing true joy that only comes from God in heaven. I mean, that's incredible to me. And then he says, but this joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. I, I know, I'm losing some of you right now. He's, he's going to talk about giving. I'm checking out, right? Get the phone. Get on Facebook quick. I'm not listening. I'm checking out. He says, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Verse 6, so we have urged Titus, and he was like a church leader at the time, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Now listen to this. He's now saying to the church in Corinth, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love, from us, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. So Paul is talking to this church in Corinth about a church in Macedonia, and he's saying, look, these guys are experiencing some real difficult times right now. They have got it really, really hard. They're going through some crazy trials. Everything's hard. It's hard in church. It's hard at home. It's hard at work. It's hard in family. I mean, they're really going through the mill. They're going through all sorts of horrible stuff. But at the same time as them going through all of this horrible stuff, he kind of says to the Corinthian church, 
Like they're like you. They are awesome, just like you are in your faith, in the way that you are. Maybe if he was speaking to us at Liverpool One Church today, he'd be saying in the way that you're awesome, in the way that you do community and life groups, the way that you are willing to share your lives with one another. Because, you know, at Liverpool One Church, we exist to change lives for Christ one life at a time. That is the reason why we are here. And we know that actually that happens best in a life group. So he would say to us, look, it's amazing that you've got that going on. That's awesome. He would maybe look at the way in which we worship together on a Sunday and he'd be saying to you the same thing that he'd say to the church in Corinth. Look, the way that you're so passionate, the way that you pursue God, the way that you're so unrestrained in your worship, that's incredible. Maybe he'd look at the stuff that you do as a church. To us here at Liverpool, in the same way to the church in Corinth, the way that you help the hurting, the way that you're always willing to reach out to the poor, that's incredible. Maybe he'd say to us at Liverpool One Church, the way that you're willing to serve on a team, get on a team, be part of building community in the church together, that's incredible. But then he says to the church in Corinth, maybe it's something that he would also say to us here in Liverpool today. He says, but you've got to be careful, guys, because you can be doing all of this incredible, amazing stuff but you could miss something that is so important. You can do such a great job on a ton of stuff, but you could end up putting on the peripheral of your faith life and of your church life something that actually needs to be right up front and center. He was saying, for as awesome as it is that you've got these great speakers and you're encouraging one another, for as awesome as it is that you've got great faith and great knowledge and great enthusiasm, whatever you do, guys, You have to understand that if you're going to authentically follow Christ, then we also need to excel in the grace of giving. The grace of giving. So here we go. I feel that the fairest option to everybody in the auditorium would be simply this. Let me just take a moment before I anger everybody. Let me take a moment to tell you exactly where we are heading. Because I don't want anybody to feel like week two in or whatever, like we've surprised you with something and you didn't see it coming. I would rather just lay all my cards on the table and go, this is where we are heading because of what Paul teaches in Corinthians. When he says, look, whatever you do, make sure that you also excel in the grace of giving as we authentically pursue becoming a church that has authentic relationships with Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of the one and only God, we practically want to have this outworking in all of our lives too. So this is where we are heading. We are going to, at the end of this month, we are going to take up a miracle financial offering. And we're going to talk to you about what that whole thing is about, but that is where we are going. Now, I understand. That last statement, some of you have totally checked out. In fact, your blood pressure has started to rise, and your heart is now beating so quick, you're actually weighing up, like, you know, how close am I to the nearest exit? Because if I can get there without my wife knowing, I'm going to make that move right now. I totally understand it, right? Some of you are feeling already a little bit like your blood is starting to boil because you're like, dude, are you for real? It's like, it's Sunday, it's church. What are you talking to me about this for? Well, let me say this first. Let me just try and alleviate some of the pressure. No matter who you are, you do not have to give anything, okay? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give anything at all. So if you're already feeling frustrated or angered or a bit like, who is he anyway? Look, I promise you, you do not have to do anything. But for those of you that aren't quite ready to check out that I haven't lost just yet, but I know that there's a high likelihood of that happening if we don't get our cards on the table first, let me say this. On your chair, what you will find is a this is why giving card. And this is what we're asking you to do for those of you who call this place home. This is your church family. Right now, we're not asking you to do anything other than, would you today 
take this card home and would you, as you keep coming back to the series every single day, would you pray this short prayer? God, what do you want me to do? That's it. I mean, maybe you're married. Maybe it's something that you could start to do with your wife, that you could take this home and as, as a family unit, as husband and wife, you could pray together like, God, what do you want me to do? And then at the end of September on the 28th, as a church family, we're going to be bringing our This Is Why giving cards back in, and we're going to be taking up a miracle offering. And there's also an option in there for you to also make a pledge at the end of September for what your miracle offering may be towards the end of October, should some people need to do whatever that might be and just buy some time or whatever that is. But I just want you to know that that's where we're heading. But right now, there are three groups of people in the room. There are some of you, and you are like so excited about this series. Already, before we've even spoken about the detail, you are like thinking right now about how good God has been to you. You're recounting of the places that you know God has brought you from. You're thinking of how like, you know, God has blessed you with an awesome wife, with a great husband. Maybe you've recently had a baby and you're like, this is just incredible. Maybe you've just taken on a new job or whatever it might be. And the season of your life is that it feels like life is really going great. And you've actively been praying and asking God for an opportunity to do something like this. In fact, you've been praying and asking God for him to give you an opportunity where you can kind of like get crazy with your generosity and outwork that in your faith. And I get it, right now, you are excited about this opportunity to give. You are excited about what's coming up in the life of the church. But then also, maybe if you're not in that category, chances are if you're not excited right now, you could be a little bit angry. You might be a little bit angry because what you're thinking, what you're feeling right now is, like, dude, seriously? I mean, are you just like all the other churches? You're just after our money, right? That's why we're here. You're just, just trying to grab all the money, and you're just getting a bit angry now. You're just feeling like, who are they anyway to ask us to give a financial offering? And right now, it just feels to you like your blood is boiling, and you're just frustrated. How dare they? What are they going to do anyway? And then there's a third group of people who are probably somewhat offended Offended because whilst I'm stood here asking you to be willing to commit and risk, be a risk taker for God financially, you're like, you know what, seriously, I don't even know how I'm going to pay the rent this month. Like, we've just done summer and I've just had to put three children in school uniforms. Have you any idea how expensive that is? I mean, like, dude, we don't even know how we're going to eat this week. And here you are asking for money. Like, who the heck are you? You know what I can say honestly? I get it. I get all three of those categories. And do you know why? Because I have been every one of those categories. I know exactly what it's like to be sat in a church and someone ask for you to be generous when actually you have absolutely nothing. I know what it's like to feel angered about the idea of, well, you're asking for all this money. What are you going to do with it anyway? I get it. And I also know exactly what it's like to be excited because I know that God has just done amazing things in my life and I want to outwork that on a financial level. So I know what it's like to be in those categories. But just let me talk to you for a few minutes about something that I have found to be true. And at the end of this talk, my wife, Emma, is going to get up and she's going to talk about this a little bit more in detail. What we have found, what I personally have found, is that when I have felt the most close to God is when I've taken some of the biggest steps of faith towards him. And my prayer is that you would experience that also even way more than the financial element of this, I genuinely want you to feel that sense of financial freedom too. And Emma will speak to you a little bit more about that in just a moment. But here's the thing. 
Before we lose everybody, let me just kind of talk to you very briefly about what we've actually done. If we were to kind of like focus in for a moment, let's just say over this last 10, 11 month period, I want you guys to know not what we have done, but what you have done. Because if you're part of Liverpool One Church, this is what you are involved in. And sometimes it's really hard and awkward to speak about all the things that we do because we would never, ever in a million years want to make anybody feel awkward or uncomfortable because we think we're doing a kind and generous act, but actually it would maybe even be embarrassing for somebody else. We don't do that. But let me try and just give you a paraphrase of of things that we've been doing over the last few months because Liverpool One Church... In the last few months, we have already given away 10,500 pounds to people in our church and in our community. And let me, let me tell you what you have already done. You have paid for single mum's cars to be repaired when they break down. You have paid for people's rent to be paid when they've not been able to. You have bought washing machines for families that are desperate for washing machines. You have even bought cars for people. You have even helped other churches in our city. And I understand, right, that that's not the done thing because, you know, if you're a church, whatever you do, like go and send some money out to Africa or Asia or Australasia because they're, no, they're not competitors of yours, right? You know, they're not a challenge to you in your city, but we're not playing that game because we're not here to build or ramp up the name of Liverpool One Church. We want to build the kingdom of God. So we will give to our city. When churches have come to us and said, hey, listen, we're really struggling with our rent. We're really struggling with this. We're really struggling with that. Like we give financially. We pay pastors bonuses of a Christmas because we know that they're not going to get one. We do all of that. And in fact, I took a phone call and I think I've shared this before. It was a while back now, but somebody rang me and he was talking to me about what we were known for. He was a pastor of another church. And he said to me this, he said, do you know that Liverpool One Church is becoming known for the church that helps other churches. And when he said that, I just thought, yeah, I want to build a church like that. I think when we do that, I think that's when we become like Jesus. I think when we do that and we unselfishly withhold what we have, but instead want to distribute it to those that maybe have a greater need, even if it means that we might go with a little bit less, we're totally cool with that. And you have done that, Liverpool One Church. But also, just in case we don't do, you think that we don't do anything anywhere else, let me tell you that we've also given money to foreign missions, worked with compassion, worked with trafficked women in Spain, we've supported homeless and parentless children in Africa, as well as sending money to disaster relief zones. So here's the thing, church. You are already a generous church. And this is what we do with the money that flows in and out of this house. But perhaps one of the biggest questions right now that's on your mind is, well, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? Well, next week, we're going to talk about some of the plans, right? But if I was to just give you two short statements about this is what we really want to achieve with this miracle offering that we're going to take, it's this. As a church, we want to heavily invest now in our children and young people's ministries. I'm going to talk about this more next week, but when we bought this building, when we moved from the theater that we were in, we were not doing anywhere near the amount of stuff that we are now doing. You should see this building on a Friday when Friday night youth are in, when YA are in. I mean, hundreds of young people are coming through our doors and we just want to better support them. And then the second thing that we want to do is we want to start to get ready now and prepare for our future. And we're going to talk about this more next Sunday. But I think for me, though, the real reason why we're going to do this series is because we know that there is a link between your financial giving and our ability as a church to change lives for Christ one life at a time. But please do not take my word for it. Because in just a second... I want to introduce to you a great guy in our church. His name is John Kearns, and he's been coming 
here to Liverpool One Church for almost a year now. So if you go away thinking like, why are we doing this? Rather than me try and eloquently do my best to tell you, I'd much rather show you and say, this is why. So, uh, yeah, no, we were, we were having good, we were having a good childhood. My brother and I, we were happy, we were, we were and parents were loving, they were. But then things changed, my, my mum started to get really poorly. She was, she was diagnosed with, um, with schizophrenia. And schizophrenia is a, an interesting illness where you sometimes lose track of what's real and what's not real. So sometimes we were, we were quite young. We were, I was about 10 years old, 11 years old. And I remember my, my mum would look out of the window and she'd think that there were things out there that, that weren't there. And as a 10 year old, you, you don't really know how to relate to those. And things changed from this, this really happy, perfect, like childhood with parents that could be there and, and do things with you and to something that, that was looking very different. Before my brother's first day of holiday, when I, summer holiday when I was, I was 12 years old and I came downstairs um, yeah, and I found my, my mum on the floor and she, yeah, she, she died because Ultimately, she couldn't take care of herself, and she gradually lost her health. So I went upstairs and I said, my, said to my dad, as, as a 12-year-old kid, I was like, Dad, mummy's fell asleep on the floor. And so he came downstairs and, and things started to get very real very quickly. And then the ambulance came and We went to get my brother and then everything started turning into a blur and family friends came and, fa and family came from different parts of the world to see us and be with us and everything goes numb and everything goes... Sometimes there's sadness and I think I... The, the sadness that I find is, is that you miss the little things, really. You miss the, the things like the kids at school, their mums would have their like washing done at the weekends and or they'd have I don't know a weekly lunch like a weekly meal at home like you know a roast dinner or they'd have you know their mums would come and pick them up every weekend we were there for like four weeks non-stop uh, those little things where you I don't know your mum would call you up and say just bug you your my mum hasn't bugged me for a long time but she's I know she's there and she's looking down and after all that and after going through through those things I, th I think I needed to prove something and all I ended up doing was going into my work and pushing harder and, and focusing and, and knuckling down and just trying to shut the world out so that I could prove that I was worth something and prove that there was, and be loved, perhaps. Maybe that was the problem, actually, that in all this damage and all this brokenness, I felt that if I worked harder, I'd be loved more. And ultimately, it was that that kept me going in work and kept me going as, a, as this broken person. And I kept pushing into that. And I thought, if I, if I just achieve one more thing, one, one more piece of success, or I'll, I'll be loved by something or someone. And that wasn't the answer. Yeah, I think there's a statistic, isn't there? I don't know the numbers, but that if you, if you live an isolated life, your life expectancy is a lot lower. And I can relate to that. 
there were times where I'd shut myself down so so much that I I think I didn't have anyone to call I didn't have anyone to 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 hang out with just to you know just to be to be me around and I I was not only isolated in my thoughts but isolated physically and this 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 church just enabled me to to be and to be loved and to feel welcome and to feel safe and uh, and at home and I hadn't felt that for for years um, I know that if John hadn't invited me to church all those years ago there's really a high likelihood that I'd still be lost so I come to church remembering that and I come remembering that if I can change one life that's lost or lonely or isolated with a small action and embrace a, a, a smile or just if I'm sweeping the floor if I'm just building the helping build the church then that one person this is my why John Kearns we love you and we are so glad that you found a home in this house. This is why. This is my why. Because I am fully aware that behind every face, there is a story. Behind every face, there is somebody's story. And this is why we do what we do right here at Liverpool One Church. This is a little bit different. Luke's asked me to share part of our story and it's not something I do from the platform. You've heard our story in parts from him over um, the course of time throughout different messages. Um, I might get a little bit emotional, but okay. But you know, I think it's important to understand your roots. If you're going to throw your life into something, it's important to understand its beginning and it's important to understand what you're going to be trusting in and building on. And, and you know, a lot of you have joined the journey since we've been in this building. And let's face it, it's awesome, right? We love this place. But I just want to give you a little bit of backstory as to how we got to where we are today. Back in 2006, Luke and I had the awesome opportunity of going out to Australia with our then senior pastors of the church that we were in. And we were invited out to a really large global conference out there. And um, it, was, it was a mega church and we were really taken under the wing by the leadership of this church. And they began to invest in us quite a bit whilst we were out there. And towards the end of conference, we were taken to one side and we were told that they had a church plant in Alice Springs in Australia and they would love it if Luke and I would be a part of their team and go pastor that church. And I think at that time, just as a young couple, a whole raft of emotions just raced through us and we'd never pastored a church before and we, we didn't see ourselves in that role, but they just were really affirmed us and believed in us. And they said, if you can set um, all your things in place, then we will take care of you as a church. We will take you in. We will train you up for three months. We will pay your wages. We will release you out. And we started the ball rolling and we began to look at property out in Australia and see what we could get for our, for our money, for, for what our house was worth. We came home. We put our house on the market. We told, I think, told my parents. We told the boys. We, Joash and Isaac will tell you of the night we sat in Pizza Hut and we told them we're going to Australia this is what God is calling us to do as a family and um, we were really quite excited I remember just being in that really um, ambitious and excitable state of oh God I'll give you anything I'll give you my everything I'll sell everything to go to Australia and serve you God and 
we were super pumped and we started having a bit of dialogue with the team out there and 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 then I just remember there was this day when something just did not feel right I just began to lose my peace over the whole situation and I was thinking to myself you know I, I don't think we're supposed to be going to Australia and um you know, I had a conversation with Luke and he, he said, I, I think you're right. I don't think we're supposed to be going to Australia either. And you know what the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this. It says, if you get into something that doesn't feel quite right, have the wisdom to back out. And it doesn't say if you get into something wrong or something sinful, have the wisdom to back out. Because opportunities will present themselves to you in so many great and glorious ways. Opportunities will come your way that will look so attractive, but just because it looks all bells and whistles doesn't mean it's God's plan for your life. So you've got to know what God's plan is. You've got to know what His Word says. And so we, we sat down and we agreed that we didn't. But Luke said, I think there's a church in us. I think we're meant to still do a church in a city. It is God's plan for our life. We're just not meant to be doing it in Australia. Well, because Australia had been opened up to us, I was just open to the world. I was like, where do you want us to go, Lord? This is so exciting. And Isaac, as a small boy, had a globe in his bedroom. And I began to spin the globe round. And I was like, well, wherever my finger falls, let's hope it's maybe it'll be California or just somewhere with a bit of sunshine. You know, maybe God wants us there. And Luke was working for the police at the time and after a night shift, he was driving home through the city and he just was there prayerfully um, driving and praying to God and he just felt to pull his car over by the waterfront and he sat there and he just said in that moment, he felt like the Spirit of God just impressed on him. Why would I send you anywhere else when your own city is in so much need. And um, he came home and he told me, and I cried for three days solid. I did not stop crying. I was like, last week we were going to Australia. And now you're telling me it's Liverpool. I like thought God disliked me immensely. I was heartbroken. I'm being real with you now. I could not think, this is how you know it's God, because I could not think of a worse place that I would not want to do church. It's Liverpool. I did not want to come to Liverpool. Truthful. I cried so hard. I lay on my belly before God and I sobbed and I sobbed because following the will of God for your life, it's not always easy. Don't think it's God just because it feels good or it seems great. It's hard. And as I lay there crying on the floor, I felt as though God was saying to me, are you still willing to give me everything? And I was like, no. It's Liverpool we're talking about now. You know, and I'd had my sights set in Australia. We'd been out there. I'd seen the houses. I'd seen the lifestyle. And now you just want me to go across the Mersey River to Liverpool. And, and then God, you know, in that moment, I really just felt as though he was challenging me. Is this about you, Emma? Is this about me? Is this about what you want? Or is this about what I want? And so, you know, I really had to deal with myself because it's not easy to give to God. It's not easy to give to God when He's challenged you in areas of your life and particularly when it comes with a financial cost. I, I remember distinctly one of the first meetings that I was in. 
I'd been a Christian, but I'd never tithed. I'd never grasped the tithing thing. I thought it was optional. And the reason I'd never grasped the tithing thing was because I never really had any money of my own. And so it didn't seem to matter. God understood that. So tithing just was never a thing. But I remember sitting in a church meeting as a single mother when they the, the leaders of the church got on the platform and said, today we are taking up a miracle offering. We are sending the pastors to Hawaii. And I was like, huh? I hope we send them in the hurricane season. Have you any idea how bad my life is right now? Like the wheel has come off. And you want to send them to Hawaii? Like, how's that God? You know? But God will constantly say, is this about you? Or is it about me? I married a great man. Make sure, you single girls in the house, you marry a man who leads you well in the ways of God. I married a great man who sat me down and said, Emma, tithing for us as a couple is not an option. No matter how flush or not flush we are, tithing is not an option for this family. And I was really, we, we, we don't have a great deal. Our start in life was difficult as a couple. It was hard. Um, I did not want to do this. But then, you know, I'd raised up my children. If you got hold of any three of my boys and said, tell me a Bible verse, I kid you not, all three of them will tell you. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And I taught them that from birth I would speak it over because I thought that if I could get this into my kids, when the Bible says I will make your path straight, He's talking about the rest of your life. And I wanted my children to know that if they just trusted in God with all of their heart, He'll make the rest of their life straight. But you see, in that scripture it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And straight away I knew that God was showing me that I was not trusting Him in the area of finances. That I was teaching my children something that I actually didn't even believe myself. And so I had to go on a journey. You know, when God gives you anything, learn to hold it like that. Don't hold it like that. Hold it like that. And I had to go on a journey and my journey was in the good and in the bad, I will give to you, God. I will tithe my first 10%. The reason that he asks for our first 10% is because God knows us as people. It's very rare that at the end of a month, we've got 10% left over and we're thinking, oh, I wonder what I'll do with my leftovers. So God says, give to me first. And so this is what we did. And we began a life of tithing. And then we started Liverpool One Church. And that was a game changer for us as a family, an absolute game changer because it meant that we gave up our jobs and it meant that we um, cashed in our life savings and it meant that we um, surrendered our pension plan and cashed all that in as well and it meant that we (laughs) emptied out just about everything that we had but the challenge was real and it was like we actually really believe God wants to do something in this city And so we, dreams cost. You can't have a dream in your heart and it not cost you something. And so we gave it our everything. And I kid you not, in the months and the the, probably the two years that followed that decision was the hardest times that we went through as a family. And I know that Luke has spoken to you about this. And I want you to hear my heart because... We don't stand up here to try and um, emotionally manipulate you. But I want you to understand our story. Because 
Because like Luke said, we've, we've sat probably at every aspect of life. We understand real life. And it was hard. And our first Christmas, we sold everything that wasn't nailed down. We sold it to get the kids presents. We kept the dog. We allowed her to stay. But we sold everything else. And when I look at stories like John's story, and when I hear of other people's stories, I am reminded where my treadmill went to. I am reminded where my hi-fi went to, why we gave up so much to do this journey. When I see the faces and the lives that are changed within this place, dreams cost. In 2015, many of you will know that um, towards the back end of the year, I was diagnosed with an aggressive tumour in my, in my side and it required immediate treatment and we had not seen this coming, I'd not been ill, it completely blindsided us and we spent two weeks just constantly in hospital and I was having um, biopsies and scans and tests and they were working out my treatment plan and in all honesty we didn't and they did not know which way this was going to go and I can remember feeling like Alice in Wonderland when she was falling down the hole and she just kept falling and falling and saying God when am I going to stop falling when is this going to end and I remember just going to God why I don't know why <laughs> you've called us to Liverpool to build your house this is what you've called us remember God this was your dream for my this was not my dream this was your dream to build your house in Liverpool how do you do this how do you hold your marriage together and and navigate your family and how do you run a church and lead a church when we're in the middle of this it was hard and um during treatment um like I said before, I married a wonderful man who took our family and um, he has really led the charge well in obedience to the word of God. And he began to work diligently hard at securing us a little bit more, a little bit better financially. And a lot of you were here last week, you heard him speak and say how during that season of diagnosis, he was about to pull out on a deal that he just embarked on a financial, um, a financial uh, business plan. And at one point, having my treatment in hospital, Luke and I have a dream. And our dream was to move house. And um, not that there's a problem with our house, but it's a it's something that is, is um, it, it's a personal dream we have for personal reasons we don't talk about from the platform, but we have this dream. And we've never been in a position to be able to do this. But in the hospital and this, I think it was about my fourth treatment, he took hold of my hand and he said, Emma, I want you to know I've been up to something. I've been doing something. I've been sorting some stuff out in the background and it's paid off for us. And I want you to know that, baby, we're going to move house. Well, I could have just done a lap of that hospital right there and then. I was so excited. This became my drive and my vision. I'm getting better because we're moving house. And, and I was super excited. And um, we, we began, when we were going through our treatment, he began to bring the computer into the hospital. And we'd sit on right move and we were finding our dream house. And he said, it won't be imminently, but within the next 12 months, this is what we'll be able to do, and this is what you'll be able to have, and this is where we'll be able to go. And I was just, it really did. It gave me a great big boost just to complete my treatment. And um, when my treatment had been completed, I was told that I was probably going to have to have radiotherapy after the chemotherapy. And so... I went for a PET scan and anybody who's been through this process or is going through, what do you do in the two weeks that you're waiting for scan results? <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to eat, it's hard to sleep, it's hard to function, but we'd gone in for my final scan and we received a phone call from Rachel Fox 
who was diligently scanning the city and she was on a mailing list with a few agents looking for a home for Liverpool One Church because for seven years we've travelled all over and we've been pretty nomadic and she rang us up and she said a building's become available do you want to go and view it and Luke flat out said no absolutely not this is the wrong season for us it's the wrong time for us we, we can't possibly even fill our head with, with buildings right now we had been um, we'd gone for so many buildings before and we'd been gazumped each and every time and I just said Luke go for it go and have a look and so I said it'll take our mind off everything that we're waiting for and, and so we made arrangements and we came and I wish you could have seen this place when we came in there was big Luton vans parked up what is now the foyer and there was boxes and it was a big old furniture warehouse and, but I kid you not I walked around this place and I said to Luke it's home this is home and he's like, we don't know what's going to happen in our future. We're waiting for results. You can't make those decisions. And I said, yes, we can. It's home. And um, through an uncanny set of circumstances, we put an offer in for this place and it sealed a deal within 24 hours of us walking through the doors. And when I finally went back in for my results, you know what it your knees are knocking it's uh, it's uncertain times and we went in and the consultant said Emma did you get my letter I said no he said I, I wrote to you and I've rang you twice to tell you that you are all clear there are no traces of any abnormalities in your body anywhere but I did not want you to wait two weeks for those results so I've written to you and I've rang you and Luke and I looking at each other said, we've received nothing. Oh, I've received every other letter that the doctors have sent me, the hospital sent me. But the one letter that you're desperate to get hold of, I never got. I still never got to this day. Because how many know that there are principalities and powers of darkness at work in this world as well that do not want the church of Jesus Christ to be built and do not want leaders who are going to pioneer it and move it forward. And I firmly believe that in those two weeks when, when, when we should have been sat at home, wringing our hands, stressing with anxiety, I think that we came into the city and stuck an almighty stake in the ground and said, we are claiming this land for the house of God. And then came a conversation with Luke and myself. He said, Emma, I need to ask you, which house are we going to build? And I was like, how do you mean? He said, well, we've been dreaming and planning our home. But he said, are we going to build that or are we going to build the house of God? And I was like, oh, right. You know, when you can stand before God and say, I've given you my everything, it makes it really easy in the hardest times of your life to go back to him and say, now I need your everything. And I've seen God come through on my life so many times. In the area of finances, when you give your first 50 pound, it's really, really hard. It's like, it stretches you and then you give a hundred pound and that stretches you again. And then you give a thousand or a couple of thousand. But this time we were gonna give on a level that we have never, ever given before. I mean, it was the most money that we'd ever had in our account, ever. And he said, what are we gonna do? And together we said, we're going to give the lot. We're going to give everything because he has given us his everything. And you know, we did that when we moved into the building and we took up a financial offering back then. But then 
I look around this place, I have my arms up in worship at the front on a Sunday and I see, I turn around and I see the faces behind me and I see the alcoholic who's given up drink and I see the addict who's come off drugs and I see the single mum who came in broken and destitute and I see her getting back on her feet again and I see the ones and the twos and I see the John Kearns and, and I'm going, this is why. This is why we gave it all. This is why we do what we did. Because we're passionate about building the house of God in Liverpool city centre for the glory of God and for the salvation of the people that are walking on these streets. And I look at our friends, our friends who journeyed with us. So many of them have found their husbands and their wives and we've had the honour of marriage. I'm like, you would never have even met each other had we not have just said yes to Liverpool and no to Australia, you would never have even met the miracle babies that have been born in this house. I stand on a Sunday in the middle of crazy, crazy at the end of every service when this awesome bunch of teenagers are moshing and jumping down in this front corner here and I have a choice. I can either have an attitude that says that's a bit unsightly, that's not very churchy, that might upset a few people but you know what I don't? I stand and I cry and I go, this is why, this is why. We gave it all to fill the house with every generation so that all may come to know the glory of God. Luke read a scripture from 2 Corinthians 8 and in there it says this. It says, though they are tested by many troubles and are very poor, yet they experienced abundant joy. This is the church in Macedonia. Then it goes on to say, I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. And I just want to echo what Luke said at the very beginning, and that was this. You don't have to give anything. There's no pressure on you at all. I wanted to stand up and give our story because we would never ask anything that we hadn't already journeyed ourselves. But I want to encourage you, if you've never known what it is to financially give to God and His work, you need to at least try. Because Malachi says that he's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on your life. And God says, test me and try me in this. Test me and try me in this. It's the only area in the whole of the Word of God where he says you can test him and it's in the area of finances. And it's actually something that you cannot eloquently teach. It's not something that can be taught. It's something that has to be caught. And you know what, in this house, we just want to give you the opportunity of experiencing an outpouring of God upon your life and encourage you, don't be the cork in your own bottle. But like Luke said, we're going to take these leaflets away and we're going to pray. And it is not about your amount, but it is about your sacrificial giving. It's about the heart that says, I want in on the miracles in this place. Church, why don't you stand with me?